Hushlings. The following debriefing is sensitive in nature, with discussion and depictions of death from historical events that may be inappropriate for some of our listeners. We encourage those hushlings to listen to some other lighter, hearted debriefings, cryptid chronicles, or declassified discussions within our catalog. Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. What came down? The, we crashed. The other trade center's down. It's down. It's down. Now some very, very sketchy details reaching us here at Sky Center. Important enough to bring to you, though, at this early stage, we believe that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. Right now we're getting information, Al, that it was a small commuter plane. And, of course, we'll let people know as soon as we have more information as to what actually caused this. And, of course, on everybody's mind, who was yeah. might have been hurt. It is completely impossible to understand why this is happening and to figure out what in the world is going on. We heard a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out, and everybody started running out, and we saw the plane on the other side of the building, and there was smoke everywhere, and people are jumping out the windows. Over there, they're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to save themselves. I don't know. You, you have to move from talk about a possible accident to talk about something deliberate. Let's go to President Bush right now. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. Greetings, hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our FBI agent, Slick Frank Sanders. Slick Frank Sanders here. What is up, Mike? Dave? Good morning. What's bussin'? We're in for a big one today, boys. Uh, We're in for a big one. This week, we sift through the debris and rubble to uncover the truths of the deadliest terrorist attack in history, the September 11th attacks of 2001, killing almost 3,000 people. We recently passed the 20th anniversary of that tragic day. What really happened to United 175 and American 11? what happened inside the World Trade Center and Building 7 before their collapse. We investigate United Airlines Flight 93 and the crash of American 77 into the Pentagon, as well as all the conspiracies associated. But before we listen to that black box, make sure to follow us on all social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram is heating up, boys. It's heating up. It's getting a little spicy. <laughs> and, of course... Lest we forget, the official website of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, www.hushhushsociety.com. Very easy to remember. Where you can find all of our debriefings from day one, declassified discussions, cryptid chronicles, blogs that we've been writing. We've been a little slow on the blogs, but they're there. There's some interesting stuff that we'll never do really full debriefings on, but you can read about, and we wrote them, because we're cool like that, and we love you. News, as well as drop the ever-wonderful review that we are constantly seeking verification that we are doing an okay job for you for. And Hushlings, don't you think that friggity sliggity fronkity was going to let you forget to purchase the drippiest drip Hush Hush apparel? So fly. 
big designs coming. I keep saying that, but they're coming. Also, Hushlings, our Patreon is live. You can sign up for the Hushtronaut tier at $3 or the Hushling tier at $5. You can stay tuned for all the details. And lastly, remember that our live show and debriefing 40. 40th debriefing. Wow. Uh, yeah. Chunky. It's a big one. Yeah, it is. Big four zero is going to be streaming live on Facebook Monday, January 10th, 2022, where we are going to investigate Agenda 21 and infiltrate the Skull and Bones. We should take a trip down to New Haven. Yeah, you guys should shoot down a gun, Waven. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Skull and Bones. (laughs) We break in Bohemian Grove style. The big fucking camera. Nice. Just like Alex Jones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just, we'll hide in a bush. <laughs> Be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator, just covered in camouflage paint. And just... <laughs> covered in mud. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. It wouldn't be out of the blue for New Haven behavior, would it? (laughs) No, no, not really. (laughs) We'd fit right in. (laughs) Hushlings, we've been putting this one off for over a year now. It's actually supposed to be in our season one. And we've decided that due to the 20th anniversary of these unprecedented and tragic events, that we will commemorate today's episode to the heroes and pay respects to the victims and their loved ones, all of whom were affected by the September 11th attacks. The World Trade Center consisted of seven buildings in the financial district of Lower Manhattan in New York City that opened on April 4th in 1973. And at the time of their completion, the Twin Towers were the tallest buildings in the world. Other buildings in the complex included the Marriott World Trade Center, WTC, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 with the total cost of $400 million, equivalent to $2.27 billion in 2021. Mike, have you been to the World Trade Center before? Interesting story. When I attempted to go to the Trade Centers, the original Trade Centers I was not able to go to, so I wanted to go to the Spire, the like rebuilt building that they did after the attacks. I was in New York and I was driving and I saw the tower and I go, okay, I'm going to start looking for parking and I'm looking around for parking. And if you've ever been to New York, it's an absolute, uh, just, just clusterfuck. So I'm driving around, I'm looking for parking and all of a sudden I drive and I see this cop in front of me and he's kind of detouring traffic and I follow the detour traffic and he sends me over a bridge, which is an $8 toll to get across. And I'm like, oh, well that sucks. Let me try it again, because I'm dumb. So we went back and circled around, and I was looking for parking, and I was like, all right, now I'm on the other side of the building, and looking for parking, look for parking. All of a sudden, I come across a different cop, and he's detouring me, and I'm like, no, I don't want to go this way. I know what's going to happen. Of course, I end up back over that bridge, pay another $8 toll, and then I was like, all right, I'm really done with this. Not going to see the tower. I can see it from here. And... (laughs) My fiance looks at me and she goes, we're already here. Let's just find a spot. We'll go. It'll be fine. We'll just know to avoid this block where the cops are. All right, you're smart. We'll do it that way. So we go back over and now I'm in front of the building and I say, okay, really start looking for a parking spot. Even if I have to double park for a moment or whatever, just to see what was going on. And again, I am put into, (laughs) uh, put in front of another New York City police finest waving me over the same bridge and that was a 24 dollar trip that i never ended up seeing the tower for 
the building is amazing. It's a beautiful building. Yeah. Coming from someone who had a construction background, it's a wonderful architectural feat. And if you've ever seen, there's a documentary on them actually building the spire, and it's pretty crazy. I have seen that. Yeah, they built like many floors within a week. It was very crazy, the pumping up uh, concrete onto every floor. And I'm not sure of the documentary, but if you can find it, it's definitely worth a watch. And it's very I think interesting. It was a National Geographic series that did like six parts or something like that. Could be. That building is, is impressive. It definitely is. If you've ever been to it, congrats. You didn't have to pay $24 just to uh, drive around it. <laughs> well, if you've ever been to the original World Trade Center, when I was a kid, my grandparents grew up pretty close to New York City, and we'd go down there a few times. I actually was there about four months or so before September 11th. It was May or, May or June. And I went at the end of school. My mom took us to New York and we went literally like right in front. We went into the mall, went all the way up as high as, high as you can go because the, the roof wasn't available to be on anymore. I think it was like years before that it was gone that they stopped letting people up there. Mm. But holy shit, those buildings were nuts. Just standing in front of them gave you the gnarliest vertigo. We actually have a photo of young declassified Dave in front of the towers that we will put up on a blog post. Don't worry, we're going to blur out his face. Now, Hushlings, we have to remember that the World Trade Center was attacked before the infamous 2001 series of attacks. That's true. In 1993, the World Trade Center bombing was a terrorist attack that took place on February 26th. A truck bomb detonated below the North Tower, and it was a 1,300-pound urea nitrate hydrogen gas-enhanced device that was intended to send the North Tower, Tower 1, crashing into the South Tower, or Tower 2, in hopes of bringing both towers down, killing tens of thousands of people. Jesus. I vaguely remember that as a kid. Mm, scary times. I think I was like six or seven, maybe. Yeah, I believe uh, Notorious B.I.G. mentions it in one of his songs. Fortunately, it failed to do so. Yet six people were killed and over a thousand people were injured. It's estimated about 50,000 people were evacuated from the buildings that day, luckily. The attack was planned by a group of terrorists including Ramzi Youssef, Mahmoud Ahmalina, Mohamed Salamaya, Nidal Al-Ayed, Abdul Rahman Yassin, and Ahmad Ajaj. They received financing from Khalid Sheikh Muhammad, Youssef's uncle. In March 1994, four men were convicted of carrying out the bombing. It's wild how many times they've tried. This was always something that I was wondering about. Is it more so that you have large groups of people to attack? Because why is it always A, the World Trade Center, and B, someplace in New York? Dude, go big or I go mean, home. I don't know. Well, think about it. You, you're hitting... I mean, it's got to be a population. World Trade Center itself. Well, yeah. I mean, if 50,000 people in a building in one day, that's a whole... That's towns. That's like a whole city. That's true. I think it also has to do with exposure. Because as much as you would see in the news, okay, small town Idaho, 50,000 people were bombed. Of course, that would make news headlines. But when you put in that oh, we're here in New York, in the hustle and bustle of Manhattan, and 50,000 people, yeah. For some odd reason, as much as it's still 50,000 people, it holds a different weight. It's New York City. Yeah, it's New York City. That's really what it is. There were intelligence failures throughout all of the Pentagon, essentially. <laughs> the FBI wasn't playing with the Army, and the Army wasn't playing with the CIA, and they're all like, no, 
we're going to sit at our lunch table and you sit at yours. That's basically what happened. In 1999, the CIA had been alerted by Saudi intelligence about a meeting of Al-Qaeda associates, Walid bin Atash and Mindar and Hazmi as Al-Qaeda members. And a CIA team broke into Mindar's Dubai hotel room and discovered that Mindar had a U.S. visa. Sneaky. Mm. While Alex Station, or the Bin Laden Issue Station, alerted intelligence agencies worldwide about this fact. Yet no one shared this information with the FBI, and the CIA never notified any other agencies of this, nor did it ask the State Department to put Mindar on the watch list. This is something that we've seen with a lot of other issues and a lot of other government blacklist projects, is that the CIA governs itself. They don't answer to anybody. They don't work with anybody. They're not team players, obviously. It's been this way since their inception. If it's known that they knew, why is no one being held accountable for not passing on on that information? The CIA isn't held accountable for fucking Jack. Like you said, they govern themselves. Why is there a red dot on my forehead? Yeah, right? (laughs) By late June, senior counterterrorism official Richard Clark and CIA director George Tenet were, quote, convinced that a major series of attacks was about to come, end quote. Although the CIA believed the attacks would likely occur in Saudi Arabia or Israel. Still, they didn't tell anybody. Hmm. In early July, Clark put domestic agencies on, quote, full alert, telling them, Something really spectacular is going to happen here. Soon. He asked the FBI and the State Department to alert the embassies and police departments and the Defense Department to go to, quote, Threat Condition Delta. He put everyone on Threat Level Delta, which is the highest. Threat Level Delta, or FCON Delta, applies in the immediate area where a terrorist attack has occurred or when intelligence has been received that a terrorist action against the specific location or person is imminent. Hmm. My initial head-scratching thought is why they would think that these attacks would occur in Saudi Arabia or in Israel when they busted down that terrorist door and found a U.S. visa in it. Some questionable things. You don't need a U.S. visa to commit acts of terrorism in Israel. Even further, you have Clark alerting domestic agencies, which means American agencies, that something is going to happen here. If your intelligence said that something was going to happen in Saudi Arabia or Israel, why would you put domestic agencies on the highest alert of the country? You can't be too cautious with this sort of thing, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. I just don't know why there would be the misdirect of, yeah, this is going to happen in Saudi Arabia or Israel. Where did they pick up that information? There's a lot to unpack here. It's difficult. We could probably do like an entire season on 9-11. You can watch, actually, I don't know what service it's on. I think it was on Hulu at one point. You can watch the show called Looming Tower with Jeff Daniels. Mm. And it talks about all what we're talking about right now. And I think the person he played actually died in the World Trade Center when it actually happened. It's an interesting series to watch, but there's a lot to unpack in this. And this happened over the course of two or three years. And we're talking about it in the course of 15, 20 minutes. Mm, Yeah. So Hushlings, tons of research. (laughs) Richard Clark later wrote, Somewhere in the CIA, there was information that two known Al-Qaeda terrorists had come into the United States. Somewhere in the FBI, there was information that strange things had been going on at flight schools in the United States. 
On July 13th, Tom Wilshire, a CIA agent assigned to the FBI's International Terrorism Division, emailed his superiors at the CIA's Counterterrorism Center, requesting permission to inform the FBI that Hazmi was in the country and that Midhar had a U.S. visa. Apparently, the CIA never responded. Mad sus. Yeah, so they went to flight schools, right? I think one was in Florida, but the majority of them, actually, they trained at Montgomery Field in Claremont in San Diego. Really? Kearney Mesa. Wow. Yeah. I know where that is. Pretty wild. Yeah, let's look at this for a second. So just to recap what's going on. They find Mindhar in a hotel room with a U.S. visa. They Mm -hmm. go and say that they think that an attack is imminent in Saudi Arabia or Israel. Clark then goes and puts the domestic agencies of America on full alert, puts us into the highest threat level condition, Delta. And Clark is admitting that the CIA has information of two known terrorists in the United States and also the FBI has information that something... They're being very vague about it, but something is going on at flight schools in the United States. Now, keeping this in mind, this all happened in July of 2001. This is a full two months before the attacks happened. They have all this information. They have information that terrorists were in the country. They have information that there's something going on at flight schools. Why would you not perform your full investigation at that point? It's really weird because a lot of the suspicious activity that happened at some of these flight schools, like they were training to, you know, land, like landing a plane is pretty essential when you're flying a plane. And they were like, oh, no, we don't need to learn how to do that. That's another light bulb that should have went off and been like, wait, wait, what do you mean you don't need to learn? That's the fucking red flag right there. Yeah. Uh, You do know that these things run out of fuel, right? You're going to have to land. Just doesn't <laughs> right. Doesn't make yeah. sense. Ultimately, this really boils down to like a really bad communication breakdown between two of the major intel agencies in this country, who probably worked in the same fucking building. That's been a reoccurring problem throughout the history of both of these organizations, like you mentioned earlier, since the inception of them. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That same day in July, Margaret Gillespie, an FBI analyst working in the CTC, was told to review material about the Malaysia meeting. She was not told of the participants' presence in the United States. The CIA also gave Gillespie surveillance photos of Mindar and Hazmi from the meeting to show the FBI counterterrorism, but they did not tell her the significance. They also informed her not to share intelligence material on the meeting with criminal investigators. Sus. Now, when she was shown photos, the FBI were refused more details on their significance, and they were not given Mindar's date of birth, nor passport number, or any information like that. Probably not even hit, like, whatever the visa was, too. So no markers whatsoever on how to pinpoint this guy, how to throw up a red flag, oh, if this passport comes across your desk, don't let this guy into the fucking country or on a plane. Yeah, well, they flagged them again in a meeting in Malaysia, the same guys. So, like, Mm. there's obviously some coordination going on in that region of the world. And then they're just like, hey, yeah, we know about him, but uh, shut the fuck up. That's literally what happened. This next part will further make your head scratching continue. In late August 2001, Gillespie told the INS, the State Department, the Customs Service, and the FBI to put Hazmi and Mintar on their watch lists. 
but the FBI was prohibited from using criminal agents in searching for the duo, hindering their efforts. Also in July, a Phoenix-based FBI agent sent a message to FBI headquarters and FBI agents in New York, alerting them to, quote, the possibility of a coordinated effort by Osama bin Laden to send students to the United States to attend civil aviation universities and colleges, end quote. What the fuck? It doesn't get much clearer than that. Right? Hey, maybe you should do something now. And we're in August. So here we are, one to two months before the actual attacks. FBI has the names of known terrorists in the United States. They know that these people are taking flight training. And now mm -hmm. you have a Phoenix FBI agent saying Osama bin Laden is sending people to these flight schools as it relates to New York City. What the fuck? We haven't even delved deeper and deeper into this investigation, and already, how do you not sit there and go, well, they obviously fucking let this happen. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot to unpack here. It's literally a protective bubble, and they're just not doing anything about it. They tied the hands of people that were investigating. You can't involve these people. You can't use this resource. You can't do this. You can't do that. Why? If you even think that we have a terrorist attack coming, especially in the New York area, involving planes. Why would you not use every resource and every available thing that you possibly could to investigate this? It makes zero sense. All of it makes zero sense. That right there puts a bullseye on a false flag event. Get Yeah. To clarify, a lot of people will listen and they'll hear false flag and think that something didn't happen. A false flag event is not necessarily something that didn't happen. We're not saying people didn't die. We're not saying that people weren't attacked. We're saying it was happening and it was let happen. It was made to happen. Orchestrated. Exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Orchestrated attack. Bunch of people took a blind eye and that's what happened. Obviously, that's a term that a lot of people misinterpret and they think false flag means that it never happened. Like fully orchestrated and didn't happen. Like everybody disappeared and mm -hmm. there's no, those people were all fake. They made up, yeah, all that bullshit. The agent Kenneth Williams suggested the need to interview all flight school managers and identify all Arab students seeking flight training in the U.S., suggesting that Al-Qaeda was planning an attack codenamed The Big Wedding and that it involved airplanes. On August 6th, almost one month prior to the event, the CIA's presidential daily brief stated, quote, indicates patterns of suspicious activity in this country consistent with preparations for hijackings or other types of attacks, just piling onto the massive mountain of red flags that we've already listed. Mm. So now here we are a month before the attacks, and the CIA is alerting the president at this point. That an FBI agent said, we have to remember. So keep the Venn diagram going. It's all coming together, which means that the CIA did know what the FBI was investigating. So the CIA and the FBI at this point both have the same amount of information. Maybe the CIA is holding some stuff close to their chest, but... Now it moves up to the presidential level, and the CIA is letting the president know, and all his advisors, that they're seeing patterns of an attack, 
that is consistent with hijackings of planes. You know, telling your flight instructor that you don't need to learn how to land is kind of a... Yeah, yeah. The failures in the intelligence sharing were attributed to the 1995 Justice Department policies, which limited intelligence sharing, combined with the CIA and NSA reluctance to reveal, quote, sensitive sources and methods, end quote, such as tapped phones. I'm sure they did more weird shit than that. The CIA and NSA is acting like the FBI doesn't tap phones. Come on. You guys are all doing the same shit. You guys are all different agencies, obviously, but you work for the same country and you're working towards an anti-terrorism thing. It just doesn't make sense that, oh, well, that information is ours. We can't share that with you. It's like this weird prideful race thing and they all have like their own strange suspicious motives to fulfill goals of the one agency and not the entire country it, it's like counterintuitive well we spoke about that when we talked about the cia as it relates to jfk and uh back in the 50s and 60s some argue that one of the four hijacked planes was deliberately crashed into the Pentagon to wipe all memory of the missing budget and bolster the campaign to plug more money into fighting terror, which would eventually be put toward hunting for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It prompted George Bush to announce more than $48 billion worth of funds into a war on terror and the later Iraq invasion. On September 10th, Former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld revealed that the Pentagon had lost a whopping $2.3 trillion from its budget. Mm. Let's take a pause right there. Ah. Let's take a pause right there. The day before the attacks, you have Donald Rumsfeld telling the country that the U.S. government has lost $2.3 trillion. It's a lot of money. That, that's not, it's not a drop in the bucket, I'll tell you that much. Nope. Of course, it makes sense. You tell the general public something like this. You're, you're dropping a bomb on them saying, hey, we lost this amount of money. Now the public, anybody who's paying attention, is reeling. And they're going, where the fuck is our money? What, what do you mean you lost trillions of dollars? And they're questioning it and questioning it and questioning it. The very next morning. The World Trade Center's hit. Exactly. In the largest terrorist attack on U.S. soil completely diverting attention from what was told to you the day before. Hushlings, stay tuned for part two when we talk about the Pentagon. There's a lot more information that's compelling even where the Pentagon was targeted and why and what side of the Pentagon. It's really fascinating shit. Uh, the deeper that you get into this, especially post the actual attacks, and you start looking at all the things that make you go, hmm, you might start to get a little angry. At least I, I know I was. We all know what happened on September 11th, and less than 48 hours later, the news of the $2.3 trillion was never mentioned again. Mm. Just a wisp in the wind. Gone. And Robert Crawford, a reporter on Now Daily, said, quote, We know for a fact, the day before September 11th, Rumsfeld came out and told us that there was $2.3 trillion missing. I'm not sure when he said that, but it was definitely post 9-11. If that doesn't scream orchestrated, I don't know what does. The facts are piling up. As it pertains to that $2.3 trillion, one popular conspiracy suggests that the money was used for a deep space program. Crawford continued, quote, 
Ever since 1986, the Pentagon has not complied with budgeting law. In 20 years, it has not accounted for trillions of dollars in taxpayer funds. These wars are probably getting a piece of it, but from my research, a lot of this money could potentially be funding secret deep space programs. That's interesting. I've never heard of that. That was one conspiracy that I didn't know about either. Well, think about it. Didn't the Pentagon just recently, for the first time ever, get audited? Was it this year or 2020? No idea. No clue. Yeah. It, it very, very recently, within the last two years, the Pentagon, for the first time, I think, ever got audited on their budget. That must have been a shit show. Yeah. Well, was it? Was it a shit show? No. What happened in 2020? Ooh. Mm. 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 What's going on in the left hand? Look at the right hand. Hmm. It's a classic misdirect. Some of the biggest things to happen, newsworthy, whether they're attacks or big pieces of information dropped or whatever it may be, they all kind of coincide with something that was glazed over by the general public. Bills that were passed in the middle of the night. Oh, let's go through this bill and see what they passed. In secret, they're passing some sort of budgeting that's very ambiguous and says, oh yeah, we're going to allocate these funds over here and we're going to do this over here and we're going to do that over there. And then the next day, some big thing that takes over the news headlines comes into play and everybody forgets about it. Much the same as what happened when Rumsfeld goes and he announces that this trillions of dollars is missing, then all of a sudden 9-11 happens. And it happens pretty frequently. Hmm school shootings i'm not saying that hey listen not saying that school shootings are false flags not saying anything about that but what i am saying is that there is then this odd coincidence of timing that something happens behind the scenes with the federal government that they don't want to have to answer questions about they don't want to have to tell you about and then boom you have this event that happens you have this headline that crosses your eyes and you completely forget about what you were talking about before yeah, go look and feel about something else. Pretty much. That dives into like Operation Mockingbird and how they control the government media and what you're being fed and what you're seeing in the headlines and what you're hearing on the evening news, which obviously we won't get into this episode. But it's something to think about. If you see something big happening, some sort of event happening, just ask yourself the question, what happened yesterday? Hushlings will return after this short message. Hushlings, we continue our search of Ground Zero, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, as we sift through the debris to uncover the truths of the deadliest terrorist attack in United States history, killing 2,996 people. The attacks of September 11th, 2001. Join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour for Debriefing 38, 9-11, Part 2. Streaming everywhere, Monday, December 13th. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Well, we will start to dive into the attacks a bit. Let's take a look at the hijackers. In the September 11th attacks were 19 men affiliated with the militant Islamist group Al-Qaeda. They hailed from four countries. 15 of them were citizens from Saudi Arabia. Two were from the United Arab Emirates. One was from Lebanon and one from Egypt. Notice how I didn't say Afghanistan or Iraq. Interesting. Very interesting. 
To carry out the attacks, the hijackers were organized into four teams, each led by a pilot-trained hijacker who would commandeer the flight with three or four, quote, muscle hijackers, who were trained to help subdue the pilots, passengers, and crew. The first hijackers to arrive in the United States were, as mentioned before, Mindar and Hazmi, who settled in San Diego County, California in January of 2000. They were followed by three hijacker pilots, Mohammed Atta, Marwan Al-Shahi, and Ziad Jara in mid-2000 to undertake flight training in South Florida. The fourth hijacker pilot, Hani Hajur, arrived in San Diego in December of 2000. The rest of the quote muscle hijackers arrived in early and mid-2001. The aim was to inflict as much mass death as possible by flying civilian aircraft into as many targets as possible. There's been multiple attempts after 9-11, too. Everybody remembers the anthrax scare. All right, hushlings, let's get into the morning of September 11th. First, American Airlines Flight 11. It was a Boeing 767 aircraft that departed Logan Airport at 7.59 a.m. in Boston en route to Los Angeles with a crew of 11 and 76 passengers, not including the five hijackers. The hijackers flew the plane into the northern facade of the North Tower of the World Trade Center at 8.46 a.m. 1,355 people at or above the point of impact were trapped and died of smoke inhalation, fell, or jumped from the tower to escape the smoke and flames, or were killed in the building's collapse. The destruction of all three staircases in the Tower of Flight 11 hit made it impossible for anyone above the impact zone to escape. 107 people below the point of impact died. I was a freshman in high school. It was like my fifth, sixth day in high school ever. That was the entrance to my high school career. And I remember being in the cafeteria of my first high school and we were watching it on TV. It was like breakfast. It was the first study hall breakfast wave. And everybody thought it was a movie trailer. And then live, that second plane, United 175, we watched it happen and we were like, oh, what the fuck's happening here? It's funny, you read my mind. I was just going to ask where you were when this happened, if you remember. I think it's one of those things that if you were alive and you were cognizant of what was happening, you definitely remember where you were and what was going on. It's one of those moments that definitely sticks in your head. I was also in high school, a few years your senior, because I'm an old man, and I remember being in an English class, and all of a sudden you would see kids running down the hallway, you would see teachers following, and you thought, what the hell's going on? They were starting to like herd all these classrooms into one big classroom because TV's on carts if you're old like me. And I remember, yeah, we all went into this classroom and we were still like, what the hell is happening? Plane hit the Trade Center and, and we're watching on the news and then you see the second plane and then you start hearing about the Pentagon and obviously this happened somewhere around the nine o'clock hour, 10 o'clock hour, the rest of the school day, the rest of the school week really was, how are you feeling? about it? Do you need counseling? Is there anybody that you knew? Are, are you missing a family member? Growing up so close to it too in the proximity. Yeah. You know, I had friends who had friends that were firefighters 
in 9-11 that lost their lives. And if you're not directly affected by it, yeah, you're kind of shocked by it. It's always a big thing to you. But when you're directly affected by it, if you had a friend or a family member who passed away in the attack, it's forever. September 11th comes around. We always commemorate it. We always look at it and say, oh yeah, here's another year past of since the attacks. And it's a whole different relation to the people that were directly affected by it. So I can't even imagine what some of my friends and acquaintances had felt during that. If you're from the New England area, New Jersey, New York, uh, even, you know, Delaware, Philly, that whole Northeast area, 3,000 people died. There's a lot of people in probably that area and dotted all over the country that were completely and directly affected. And it definitely changed my perception of the world a little bit earlier, I think, than some kids. There was also a mass influx of kids who were either going to go to college or weren't going to go to college, whatever it may be, who had their post-high school lives completely uprooted because they decided that they were going to join the army after that, or they were going to join some sort of military branch to get involved with the eventual following war. So 9-11, even decades later, you look at it 20 years, that seems like a long time, but you also have to think about the kids who were in middle school and high school at that time that went on to fight in a war for four years or eight years or whatever it may be. It was 20. when we Didn't we just pull out of Afghanistan this year, right? So, I mean, it was essentially a 20-year war. How many people do we leave there? We know currently many people that I went to high school with and even people that we associate with today that we meet at that have been overseas and are either still active military, probably direct the result from being a similar age and experiencing that. And on top of it, like we said before, this also created a monstrous Islamophobia problem. This whole event, it's multi-layer. And like I said, we could do an entire season on 9-11, the events that transpired, all the conspiracies, everything that happened, because there's so much to unpack. Frank, where were you? I was probably in diapers. That's peaceful. Just doing baby things. I was only alive for like 18 months at this point. This leads us to the second plane, which was United Airlines Flight 175, a Boeing 767 aircraft, which departed Logan Airport at 8.14 in the morning en route to LA with a crew of nine and 51 passengers, again, not including the five hijackers. The hijackers flew the plane into the southern facade of the South Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City at 9.03 a.m. Yeah, this only happened 13 or so minutes apart, 16 or so minutes apart, because that's why I remember the breaking news. In the South Tower, one stairwell... Stairwell A was left intact after Flight 175 hit, allowing 14 people located on the floors of impact, including one man who saw the plane coming at him, and four more from the floors above to escape. In total, 630 people died in the South Tower, fewer than half the number killed in the North Tower, because some occupants decided to leave the building as soon as the North Tower was hit. I'd be out. I always have said that. If a plane hit the building, whether it was an accident or not, I'm going home. You can kind of imagine the scene, because you think, at that point, nobody really thought that it was a terrorist attack. Everybody thought that it was an accident. So you can imagine the people in the South Tower just kind of looking out the window and going, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. You know, they're jumping on the phone, calling friends or family or whatever, emergency services. At this point, you don't think. Your mind doesn't jump to terrorist attack. Also, if you're in a 110-story building and you're in New York City, not going to get into the geology of New York, but there is a fault line there. 
and you start feeling that building shake and you don't you're not used to earthquakes being a new yorker uh i'm the fuck out of that building too just imagine the people that were possibly in cubicles or offices that didn't see the plane hit the building you're in the north tower your floors below where the plane hit and at this point you don't know what happened you're freaked out but you still have no idea they were massive buildings with really narrow stairwells if you've ever seen pictures of the stairwells of the world trade center you wouldn't think that a stairwell that narrow it's like two people almost can't go shoulder to shoulder down the steps at the same time scary stuff the New York City Fire Department deployed 200 units, half of the, the entire department, to the World Trade Center. Their efforts were supplemented by numerous off-duty firefighters and emergency medical technicians. Firefighters, man. No matter what happened really with the towers, whether it was a, a false flag event or some other conspiracy that we haven't gotten into, firefighters, man. You guys fucking killed it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Some of those guys, you could see the scale of the event, especially after the second plane hit. That's probably when their minds changed. The first timing of walking into this thing is like, holy shit, this is the biggest event I'm ever going to have in my career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're not thinking about the buildings coming down, one, and you're not thinking about probably dying in that event. But then the second plane hits and the gravity of the situation, just it just becomes a thousand times different. And it's like, yeah, I'm probably going to die today. And they just went on and did it. Yeah. I can't imagine. There's a photo floating around of a fire truck from one of the departments. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have all the information of it, but I remember seeing the photo, and it's a photo of the fire truck going over the bridge, probably the bridge that, that charged me $8, um, <laughs> going over the bridge towards the building, and it said something about they were from this house and they were from this department, and all the firefighters in that truck ended up dying. It's a very heavy photo. Again, I'm sorry, I don't have a ton of information on it, but that photo right there is just crazy because you see the tower and it's burning and it's got the smoke coming out of it and you just see this like one lone fire truck just going over this bridge and it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy photo. There's also, if you're interested, if you're in Southern California or in the San Diego area, the Air and Space Museum in San Diego, mm has a Port Authority police car that's pretty heavily damaged inside. They have a whole 9-11 exhibit, and it's pretty heavily damaged inside the museum. They also have one of the large train rails from the subway station below World Trade Center that's a little mangled in the museum. It's pretty wild. That brings something up that I didn't think about before, is like the subway stations below. Were there people killed in the subway stations, or after the first plane, did they stop the subway system? Who knows? People are literally talking on the phone until the buildings collapse. If you've ever been in the actual World Trade Center, the original complex, there was a mall. It was like a four-story shopping mall that was below the main concourse level. And then there were parking garages, then the subway stations that are in there. There's a whole 20 plus probably floors below the buildings at surface level too. If you were in the malls down there, and I don't know, man, that freaks me out because I was in that building just a couple months before. I just wonder, like, if they had stopped the subway trains from going. I would imagine in an emergency situation, they would stop the subway. I'm sure they diverted it. I would hope that they did. I'm sure they diverted or stopped probably all of lower Manhattan. You're thinking more on the level of the building. I'm sure they didn't keep the buses running. No, that, all that shit ceased the second that second plane hit. I would think after the first one. Probably. We'd have to go do some research on the Port Authority and all the subway lines in that area and see how they handled it. 
There's probably reports. So like I said, we could do a season on this. At the end of the day, three buildings in the World Trade Center complex collapsed due to fire-induced structural failure. The South Tower collapsed at only 9.59 a.m., having burned for only 56 minutes in a fire caused by the impact of Flight 175, said to be from the explosion from the fuel. The North Tower collapsed at only 10.28 a.m. after burning for 102 minutes. When the North Tower collapsed, debris fell on the nearby 7 World Trade Center building, which was 7 WTC, damaging the building and starting fires. These fires burned for nearly 7 hours, compromising the building's structural integrity, and 7 WTC collapsed at 5.21pm that night. 2,793 people perished that day. Yeah, so I mean, obviously the bulk of everything was in the World Trade Center. Hushlings, I think that we have reached the end of part one of our 9-11 two-part series. We are going to do final thoughts on each episode just to kind of break up our thoughts. And as we said, there's a lot of information to go along with this, so... Obviously, if you guys have any information that we missed, please hit us up as usual. But let's get into our final thoughts on part one of 9-11, Declassified Dave. I think with everything that we've gone through today, clearly, like I've stated before, we've skimmed the surface of 9-11 and the conspiracy. The research that this took over a month to get just what we have compiled, and it could take you years to get all this stuff going and actually pull it apart and really see what's going on. But I'd say that so far from what we've learned and talked about is that this is bad game of telephone that either may have been on purpose or may not have been on purpose. And there's a lot of things that happened in the course of a couple years, or at least you know since 1993 when the first attack happened to September 11th, and then really speeding up in the timeline before September 2001. And the fact that nobody did anything, I think it's, like you said, false flag. And on top of it, just talking about the events that happened at the World Trade Center, for me experiencing it, living an hour away, being a kid, and just what is the world now? All I can say is this is probably one of the most defining days of my life, even though I wasn't, me personally, wasn't directly affected. My mom knew some people that were directly affected. My father knew some people that were directly affected. There were some connections, but definitely changed my perception on the world. And reading some of this stuff, man, why didn't anybody notice this? You know why? Because it was 1999, 2000, and 2001. We didn't have cell phones in our pockets. If this happened now, it'd be a lot harder. If I had to put together some final thoughts just based on part one and the information that we've come across for this first part. I would say definitely some sort of, at the base level, communication breakdown between the federal agencies of the CIA, FBI, and partly the NSA. For them to say, we're not going to share this information because of wiretapped phones or how we get our information, it's asinine. You work for the United States, and the United States was under imminent threat, pretty much. You guys had all the information for it, and they did nothing. They refused to communicate with each other. They refused to share that information. And let's say that they did have all the information. Let's say even, even one of those agencies had all that information. 
You have the information of known terrorists, known Al-Qaeda members on U.S. soil. Those members enrolling themselves into a flight school, even going as far as to say that it's going to be very localized in the New York area. How, at that point, do you not find these terrorists, at least put those passport numbers on a watch list, put those IDs on a watch list? It could have all been prevented. Maybe not all of it because he didn't know all the players at the time, but at least a couple planes could have been stopped. You could have stopped Mindar, you could have stopped Hazmi. Could have stopped Osama bin Laden. That's a whole question in itself, though, we, got, we could get into. Yeah, yeah, the involvement there. I think it kind of points to a false flag operation. Again, as I said, look at the events that led up to it, look at the information that they had, and then look at what happened the day before. Yep, the cash. Not saying that false flags don't happen, or nobody dies in false flags. That's not what false flags are. It's just the classic governmental misdirect. Cover up a massive, massive loss of money with a massive, massive terrorist attack. If I'm taking the information just from this part one, that's where I'm standing. I'm standing at a miscommunication of agencies and a possible false flag event to cover up the fact that the U.S. government lost $2.3 trillion. Because of the, uh, because of the reptilian overlords and the secret space program. <laughs> of course, of course. Final thoughts. Frank. Frank's final thought. Like you said, based off of just the information compiled in this debriefing part one, it's easy to say that this definitely looks like a false flag operation that could have been easily preventable. We listed a mountain of red flags. They had solid proof, essentially, that this was going to happen, and it seems as though they didn't make too much of an effort to stop it. They weren't giving the people working on these cases all of the information that they needed. It hindered the process of actually being able to take down these terrorists, and it seems almost intentional. That's just how it looks, in my opinion. And it, it's just shitty to see that such a tragic day in United States history, if not the most tragic day, could have been stopped if not seriously, seriously scaled back. Maybe it couldn't have been prevented entirely, but I'd like to think that if they had moved a little faster, and it's shitty to say it like that, but if action had been made sooner, it might not have been as bad as it was. I don't think that $2.3 trillion went to a deep space program, personally. <laughs> Uh, I don't know where that money went, but it definitely has something to do with the whole bullshit Middle Eastern 20-year-long war for nothing. Those are my final thoughts. As we said previously, Hushlings, this is going to be a deep, deep take on this very tragic event. Part 2 is coming. Well, Hushlings, that's going to do it for Debriefing 37, Part 1 of our 9-11 series. What were your thoughts? As always, did we miss anything? Was there anything we should have discussed? You can reach out to us at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Let us know if there was anything we missed. Also, we would love to hear your stories, how you felt about the 9-11 tragedy, where you were, what was going through your head. We want to hear your stories. So please, if you feel like sharing, please reach out to us. Hushlings, Hushtronauts, and Hush Puppies, be sure to join us for our 38th debriefing where we will continue with our official investigation of 9 11, 
streaming everywhere Monday, December 13th. And don't forget to tune in for our live show and 40th debriefing on January 10th, 2022. In part two, there is a lot more information that will make you raise your eyebrow, so definitely stay tuned for that. And I hope that we get some comments or messages about some of the things that we might discuss in that episode in the meantime. Thank you again for joining the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sick Frank Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.